0: Assalamualaikum alaikum, This audio class is conducted by The Alchemy of Happiness and organized by Daru Salam Mosque. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rabbil alamin was salatu was salamu ala al shafil anbiya'i wal sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi juma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, good to see you again after a short break. How are you? How's the holidays? Any holidays coming up again? New year, New year. No. Chinese New Year? Oh yeah, betul eh, Chinese New Year hari apa? Monday Saturday okay, ada kelas? <laughs> Celebrate Chinese New Year, kan nak bawa cookies semua lah uh, So uh, sorry for being late, uh, first time, tak biasa for the year <laughs> uh, Let us begin by reciting Suratul Fatihah we hope with the barakah Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah will protect and guide us. And insha whatever we learn today will be useful and beneficial for us. inshallah Al-Fatiha. Okay, who remember where did we stop last year? <coughs> Hadith thirteen. That was the last, second last class, and then the last class we spoke about. Uh, the importance of loving the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, following Hadith 13, correct? Okay, ah, okay, very good. Alhamdulillah. So, <coughs> Hadith 13 reads, "La yut minu hatta uh, yuhibbu li ma yuhibbu li nafsi." Truly, none of you love, uh, believe until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. And I think we break this down into uh, several components. And then the second uh the last week before we took the break for the year we went into uh the importance of love in the concept of Islam and today let us uh, go to hadith 14. And let's just dive into this because we are a bit late. I mean I uh, was late. Uh a very serious hadith. I don't know what to do with this hadith. So I scratched my head. I think for one week I was nak eh? How to to do this. So anyway, under authority of Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radi Allahu who said so who knows Syedna Abdullah Ibn al-Masud? Who knows a little bit about him? Okay, one very uh, important thing about him for me is that he was actually to us in Islam the first one-man university. When he teaches, he he's such a profoundly uh, intellectual and educated man. When he teaches, he teaches from morning to day. The break only in between is between Solah. So like he starts at eight a.m. and you know let's say his house is here. The, the whole uh, the house will be full until it reaches the street. So if someone wants to go to the other side, they have to avoid the street because it's full with all the students. So let's say in the morning he says, "Okay, this is Tawhid. So you talk about Tawhid for two hours, and after that, okay, whoever wants to study tafsir come to the front, and then those who, those who are not studying tafsir as a primary subject they went to the back, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, so we call him the one man university. Okay, so this the uh, illustriousness of the contributions of uh, Syedna Abdul Abdul Masud. So here, uh, in Hadith number fourteen, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ said, "It is not permissible to spill the blood of a Muslim except in three instances: one, the married person who commits adultery; two, a life for a life; and three, the one who forsakes his religion and separates from the community." And this narrated in both Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Okay, so let's read this carefully. And this, uh, what I decided, therefore, at the end of the day, after, after deciding how to approach this, is um, to make us be a bit more mindful of quoting hadith and putting it on Facebook or Instagram. And this will be one of the examples. Okay? It is not permissible to spill the blood <coughs> of a Muslim, except in three instances, adultery, murder, and apostasy. Now, let's look at general principles first. So let's ask uh, maybe someone from a different culture and background, Mr. Chinaman. <laughs> Welcome back. How are you? You are the architect. Not me. Yeah lah, you're from China, what? Right? Okay. From from a Chinese point of view, when you read this hadith, so what do you do? It is not permissible. So that means it is permissible to kill an adulterer, a murderer, and an apostate. Let's say, naazibilla, I'm. Uh, let's choose murderer lah. A bit like less uh, controversy. Okay, okay controversy also, but anyway. Let's say I'm a murderer. and say, hey, uh, pay you, I'm a murderer. Actually, you know, that day I murdered my wife. Based on this idea, what should you do? Kill, you? kill me. Will you kill me? Yes. You will. <laughs> uh, call 999. <laughs> okay. Let's look at the general principles. Number one. Now. Above all else, I want to talk about attitude. Right, what is our attitude towards this hadith? Just because the hadith says it is not permissible except in these three instances, if they fulfill one of these three instances, then do you have a right? And under what ground do you then kill this fellow Muslim? OK? It's not a literal understanding of this hadith that as long as you find someone commit adultery, I mean seriously, if you put all of these three together, there'll be not many Muslims in Singapore. Like coming from Sharia court, I'm telling you. And working with adults. I'm young, also adults also, youth also. You know, I'm telling you, there'll be many Muslims who are killed. Well, Why Muslims say, Oh, they're murdered. Why uh? the hadith says murder them. <laughs> so it cannot be something that is so simplistic and so literal. Right? Even if we want to apply this condition. What are uh, this hadith? What are some of these conditions or the preamble that we need to think about that qualifies you? Maybe, maybe I said maybe to carry out this hadith in its fruition. Okay, do you just kill someone because of these three? Okay, that's the first uh, principle. The second principle, we to look at. <coughs> even if you find that he did indeed that act, he did indeed commit that act who then has the prerogative to decide whether he has fulfilled the i mean for example if someone tells you hey, you know someone that they committed adultery now also i mean cannot be right because as you know i'm single i'm girl, <laughs> and i'm practicing muslim so inshallah <laughs> so um apa yang cakap tadi tengah nervous okay so someone committed adultery and then let's say just by virtue of the fact that his friend eh? Uh, what would you do? How, how do you want to establish my <coughs> adulterous act? Ah, come adulterious act. Spell it. What? Must have justice. What kind of justice? Uh, what would be one of the most important and basic form of justice? Punishment. Witness. Witness. Later we look at. Basically, basically, I just want to highlight to you today. Our focus is not adultery, eh? because it's like more interesting. (laughs) Uh, You know, do you? The answer is there. Natural justice. What is natural justice? That you give both sides, you know, um, ability to explain uh, whether they did it or not. You cannot just decide without asking him. Do you do this? Why do you do this? You must be able to ask these questions, and you must be able to explain why he did or he did not do these things. Because to murder someone is, of course, not a, not a light thing. It's a serious thing, right? Okay. Um, what kind of proof do you need? Example, in uh, a uh, uh, adulterous act. Anyone? We will go through this later, insha'Allah. But what do you need, roughly? Imagine you're in JB, oh not JB, okay. okay. Like, let's say you are in like neighbourly country. <laughs> must be diplomatic. What would they? What do you need to do? You know they have a department for these things, ah. Eh? It's very misunderstood by the orang. They won't have these things. Kalau dua orang, mai, okay. My, okay. <laughs> so what would it? What do they need to do? Four witness? samo, and this witness must be what? How did they know that I'm going to do something, ah? Eh? takkan orang wait at hotel tiwan saja. any couple walk in they just knock on the door. Kepo kan tak ada kerja lain. <laughs> Tapi musim segitulah actually. <laughs> AM, okay. Um, but but you see that there are within the Islamic system uh inbuilt um systems set up to minimize the occurrence hopefully of these things if the community are all in a standard in which they are practicing Islam properly. You understand? Example? If you say today, if you, if you read the verse of the Quran today, La Zina, do not approach zina. And then we say the Quran does not even talk about committing zina, is to avoid many steps prior to the commitment of that zina. Just like uh, just like the student of Bi Adam alayhi salam, right? Syaitan uh, uh, him to eat what? Which fruit? Green apple? Okay. La tab we have tufaha. Example. Janganlah dekat si apple too. Ada verse of quran Don't have, right? So, it's not about consuming the fruit. It's about do not approach the tree. Sajarah. Not tufaha. right? The tree. So that means a few steps. So the principle in fact would be a few steps prior to the commitment of that offense. If it leads to the commitment of offense, we avoid it. Because, you know, as much as you say, you know, you know, do you have friends? Maybe you don't, like when I was living in the States, all my friends say, I know when to stop. Right. Everybody who says you know when to stop, they're the one who cannot stop. You know, so don't start even. So Islam says don't start. So here, don't go there. Don't commit the thing. Don't even go near. Anything that leads to it, don't go near. I mean, not only cannot you should not consume alcohol. You should not serve alcohol. You should not supply alcohol. You should not only not commit zina. You should not go to hotel eighty one if you are not married, or any other place when you are not married, including going for holiday, and then putting on Instagram. tak tahu malu ke? Very angry this one, you know. And parents if parents are here. Don't let your children go calling Bengkawan. If they're not happy, see me. I will slap them first, then I talk to them. Slap first. <laughs> because they know, okay, cannot, okay. The third principle would be, i macam so nervous. I'm quite fast. I think I might finish before nine thirty. Bully eh? first day. Okay, can. Third principle, what is the big picture behind example principles like this, or hadith like this, or even you know when we talk about you know when we're doing my Fathir Rabana's class and we talk about the doa, in order for us to learn the context of the doa. Students have to read at least five verses before to see what it flows. What is it about? What is it referring to? What is a struggle, for example? Example: the 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 du'a of Rabbanatina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina Most famous, most complete, most moderate. Right? Everybody memorized this. But what do you think is the context of that of that dua? Interesting. Okay, someone who went for the class. What is it about? The performance of Hajj, things that you abstain from, that you have to fast because when you set of ihram and things that you do, not, you must avoid. And so, with that kind of uh, uh, heavy, uh, in a sense, uh, liability, then you say, Robana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina And to, com- to complete this, the verse before Allah says, and for those who only say Robana atina fi dunya hasana, they get nothing in hereafter. Right? So um, what is the intent of this study? So if let's, let's, let me ask you to observe these three acts that is being mentioned. Adultery, murder, apostasy. Are these small sins or are these big sins? Big sins. Right? So imagine if in a community, these were rampant. Or maybe this should use the present tense. These are rampant. How would it impact the quality of the community? How would it impact the level of piety of that community? Is it serious or is it not serious? Would it be negative or would it be okay, okay, some are okay, most some are not okay? Imagine if this is a freak fall, which is anybody and anyone commits adultery as if it is no big deal. Anybody and anyone has the right to murder just because they lend about with a example. Anybody who <coughs> comes in and out of Islam out of their own free will. I mean, okay, they should be out of their own free will, but you know, like, you know, convert today, tomorrow apostate, and then break up with the girlfriend, apostate, and then tomorrow another, uh meet with another Malay girl, and then convert after that, apostate again. You know, like if that's the situation, so it is talking about something serious. It is not simply about a matter of punishment by death, but in the big picture, it is to preserve the honor and the nobility of life in itself. Because life is a gift from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. It is a blessing. It is not something that is given free and then you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? So it is a gift. Allah gives you. Then there is there are responsibilities. You know what does Spiderman say? The movie. With big. Big what? With big power comes with great power comes great res great responsibility. Uh, he got it right there. Right? So what are the responsibilities that we need to incur because we don't live in this world all by ourselves? First, first and foremost, even this world is on loan. And then millions and millions of people meet made to live together, and we share many common spaces. So if there's no binding rules for everyone in its basic tenet, which is, in a sense, like these three examples of transgression that's being mentioned, then if anybody can do anything, can you imagine the kind of society that we will have? You understand this? So it is more incumbent, especially when this hadith refers to, by and large, a Muslim family, that we need to take care of our family with regards to these three things. Right? And later we talk about adultery, uh, that being the main essence of, um, of, of, of today's session for me. So the ultimate concern <coughs> with regards to this hadith behind these the details of you can you have the right to kill people who commit these three sins is more of restoring the value of human life. Each one of us knowing how to behave, we service one another. And if you look at these sins, it is about preserving and restoring each other's rights in the way that we relate and we communicate and we live with each other. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, okay, everybody okay? It's the first day, so blow warm up. I know, uh, but just bear with me. Inshallah, next week will be a bit more fun. Topic, that boleh fun, so like, I don't know what to do. Okay, so that's the third principle. So the first principle is to look at <coughs> what what is attitude towards such hadith. Number two, who decides how we carry out this hadith? Do you alone have the power because of this hadith being empowered to commit uh, to kill? Another Muslim for doing this? Or is this power given to and rest solely in the authority, in the judiciary, in, in you know the, the you know the groups that protect the community, for example. You know, I mean even in civil law, I mean if let's say you find someone who <clears throat> let's say who maybe on the way out somebody slapped my face. Okay, maybe that's not so serious. Maybe somebody punch me, which is the same thing anyway, right? And then you, let's say you love me very much, ah, example. Hopefully, in time, what would you do to this guy? Don't punch back, lah. That's already sinful. What would you do? Would you, would you, as a as a group, mop him and then like blanket party him on in usak dapuas? Not lagi. Ah, you tanya. Or you call police. Which one? Ah, so it's not. <laughs> it's not an empowerment by an individual; it's by an authority. So here will be the police, it will be the judges who then decide how much and whether he has committed the an act and what kind of punishment he or she should be deserving, right? And number three, what is the intent of this hadith? And this is more of to look at whether it's a punitive hadith or it's a hadith that is actually positive behind what seemingly to be a punishing hadith. Okay. So let's look at the explanation. It is not permissible. To spill the blood of a Muslim. <coughs> now, if this hadith is understood properly, it is a hadith which is positive, because if you understand what it intends to serve, then it is as a protection and restoration of the value of human life and dignity. That you cannot try, you cannot cross the line by just because somebody, you know, just because you find somebody attractive and then you commit adultery. You cannot cross the line just because. You know somebody's. You know did something to you, and you murder him or her. It's about preserving and restoring the value of life that Allah has given to us. Yeah, of course, value of humanity. That's the first and foremost. And so, if we look at this hadith properly, this is how we shall view this. It is not legal to kill a Muslim except in one of these three cases. But you will notice because it's such a grave sin or act of crime that these three are really exceptional i mean even in a community at a time when you know moral values are kind of like questionable nowadays these are not the things that people accept as a norm you understand this right so the hadith talks about this because well this wouldn't happen to a community that is full of piety and taqwa but under exceptional situations that it does happen then follows the grave punishment. You understand this? Now, this talks about. I mean, this reminds me about some questions. Sometimes people ask about, you know, uh, hudud law. I mean, the first thing we talk about hudud law is chopping hands and you know, killing people. Like you know, like there's more to that, by the way. Now, one of the main reasons why it cannot be implemented in this time because one of the condition is that the level of piety, the leadership must be, and the community must be a high level of taqwa. That the the ustazs or you know the community leaders must bring the community to that level where everybody is you know almost like like semua dah jadi ustad ustad the whole Singapore is ustad ah then you apply hudud because it is not meant to punish it is meant to prevent but by then the level is already so high that nobody does it so but it is there as a prevention that's what it's meant to be but now you cannot I mean like in some countries up north neighbor or whatever some state they want to do like please. You have the bar there, and then you have the beer there, and then you have the woman there, and then the Start there. <laughs> cannot lah, you know. And then, haram, haram, haram. And then, yang 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 high level kutuk kutuk kutuk, yang low level kutuk kutuk kutuk. kutuk. Then how? So it's not applicable. So you must understand this carefully. You cannot just I want who do it, I want who do it. It's it's not. There are conditions that has to be fulfilled. So in this case. It, it is to bring the Muslim community to a level of piety and taqwa to a level such that that adultery, murder and apostasy are exceptional. And then this spilling the blood is a very grave result as a result of the exception, not as a norm. You understand? So the question is just offhand. Can we apply this in Singapore? Cannot. First of all, it's not a Muslim country Okay, number two It's not all the same lah, okay <laughs> Number three If not understood properly And this becomes dangerous Because the hadith says It is not permissible to spill the blood of a fellow Muslim The question some people will therefore ask If you take this literally would be Then is it okay To spill the blood of a non-Muslim Ah, too lagi Dangerous You know what I mean? Because it's said the hadith say, you know, so non-Muslim lucky, they once they do, we can do this. No, you can't. Because they're not bound by the same rules. Because they do not accept that rule. You understand this? I mean, in that, in that situation it would be you know, when you study the story of Nabi Musa and Khidr in Surah Al-Khafi, verses sixty to eighty two eighty eighty-two. You know, one of the things that they went through was when um he went to the he 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 got he alighted from the boat, and then he saw one boy, and then he killed the boy. He didn't killed the boy, and then when Nabi Musa like eventually asked yo why you know, he said you know this boy is gonna be an evil boy when he grow up he's gonna you know become a non-Muslim, abuse his parents or whatever so I kill him. That doesn't mean you don't you go to Iskos Beach and start killing everybody else, because I have been asked this question. So it cannot be and it should not be that literal. You have to study a little bit more about this verses, about this hadith. <coughs> okay. um, especially nowadays, um, because most of you graduate from the website, right? So you have to be careful, you know, don't quote, unquote. And then after that, like you know, not Muslim lagi, they're confirm masuk neraka all. You kill him, you must masuk neraka. You go to hellfire. You understand what I mean? Don't, don't because you bodo and then you waste your ticket to Jannah. You go to fire because, but the you go to before Allah, Ya Allah. But then the hadith says so. So, I to be a good Muslim. <laughs> you know, wasted one whole life of eighty-five years old wasted because why you follow this hadith and you want to kill, without studying the content, the the context of it. You understand this, right? Okay, so <coughs> the proper understanding leads us lead us to understand uh, the bigger picture. Because the system in Islam is set to the extent that it helps to avoid the commitment of such offenses. And all the rules within Sharia comply with the maqasid or the purpose, which is five. Right, Which is in the maqasid of Sharia. is important, the purpose of Sharia. Every Sharia law that is interpreted or that is given fatwa of must comply with these five purposes. That it must be in the preservation of, and even the preamble is to, is preservation, and not to kill or whatever. Preservation of, number one, life. I just go through this and I give an example: faith, number three, <coughs> intellect, number four, progeny, and finally property. Five, life, faith, intellect, property, progeny. So let me give you one moronic example, and you apply this, and you see whether it's Sharia law. So, for example, I say, Harith, I am the Grand Mufti of Darussalam. Oh, sorry, MRO here, but my Grand Mufti for one, for once. Uh, you know, you all are very good student Alhamdulillah, Inshallah, I, I'll, I'll give you 72 virgins in Jannah. You bomb yourself outside because these people they never come for class. They should die. Okay. This is my grand fatwa from the Grand Mufti. Go. Would you do it? No, I'm the Grand Mufti, you know. <laughs> it's the Grand Fatwa, not Fatwa, no. It's Grand Fatwa, <laughs> Grand. Still no. Okay, why no? It, uh, it goes against all these five. Anyone, and this is the beauty in Islam. The hierarchy is very flat. Allah, the Prophet, everybody else. Whether you're Mufti, Muftiha, Muftihi, Muftihu, all same line. If I give you a f- Grand Fatwa, <laughs> being the Grand Mufti. You must. I promise you. You see, uh, my my, wor- my my joke in my mind always, and I said, like, dude, like, you don't know whether you're going to go paradise. How can I promise you to give you seventy virgin? I cannot promise you. Then you know. Then why you accept? Sape yang bodoh you ke I. You know, example lah. You know, so this is not Islamic law nor Sharia law because it fails every of these five. Even if this one is not Sharia law. So how can murdering Someone, because just of the virtue that they commit apostasy, murder or, 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 or adultery, and you are not a person of authority, and you have not been given the authority, take the law into your own hand and commit this, because it goes against any of this. It cannot be sharia law lah, like this. You understand this? And then kesian orang yang yang judges duduk, duduk dekat court tu tak ada kerja. Ah, orang semua dah all kill themselves. <laughs> I have nothing to decide here. <laughs> you, you know, you know. Okay, so anyway. So test. What are the five? Life, faith, intellect, intellect progeny. Pro- okay, progeny tu apa? Yeah, uh, keturunan. Your children, 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 and uh, property. property. Okay, so just because you're angry doesn't mean you burn Darussalam or you burn the flag, it's haram in Islam. You understand this? Okay? Okay. Alright. Belum asal ni? nak Okay, what is the purpose of punishment? Okay, next, Muhammad. If I say I'm going to punish you, you're happy or sad? Be real lah, Sad. Anyone here say I'm going to cane you? Say Alhamdulillah. Please cane. If I cane you one, who start cane me three times. Follow the sunnah. Don't two, three, don't four, five. Who amongst you? Right. So when we look at punishment from a human point of view, is to inflict pain and suffering. Clearly lah. Right. But punishment in Islam is different. From that point of view. It is, like I said, ma- there are measures put in place to protect the Muslim as an individual, as a couple, as a family, as a community, as a society, and eventually as the ummah being set up in place so that it helps to protect this is your line you do not cross, this is your line you do not cross. So like in a typically good Islamic uh, uh, flat, whether you cook curry or sambal pedas or sambal goreng, we have no problem. We're not gonna ask you to get out, or we're not gonna call the police, right? Because this is the line, and this is your right within the ambit of your own cubic house. Alhamdulillah. We we'll see you later, inshallah. Come back, ah, belum habis. When you come back, very interesting, I promise. This is the end of part one of this episode's podcast. If you like our podcast, do remember to subscribe to us in SoundCloud or podcast app for the iPhone. And remember to like us on Facebook page and on Instagram.